Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So, does anyone buy a, want to buy a broken barometer? No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> so the other day, I like that one. I read that one, I laughed. So the other day, I was watching this dog chase his tail. He was chasing his tail around and around. And I thought to myself, stupid dog, you're so easily amused. And then I realized that I was being amused by a dog chasing his tail. All right, hopefully you found Romans 12 by now in your Bible. Would you stand to uh, your feet in honor of God's Word? And uh, let's look together, Romans chapter 12. We're going to start with verse 1 here. And you guys are going to help me read the first word. Can we read the first word together? What's the first word? Y'all ready? One, two, three. Therefore. So when you come across therefore, you always need to do something, okay? Therefore is therefore a reason, because therefore is telling you that it's therefore the things that came before make a statement about what is coming after. So therefore is a turning point in this book. Up until now, Paul has been presenting a pastoral theology to people. He's been saying stuff like, uh, let me see, you're all sinners. God's word is supreme. Uh, and, and God is holy, and your conscience, the commands of Scripture, even the very teaching of creation, tells us all that you cannot be holy, so you are in trouble before God, and therefore Jesus died to, to do away with all of those laws and to bring you into a new relationship with him. And then uh, how do we live in this new relationship? We do so by focusing on a walk in the spirit, not by pursuing our own fleshly desires. And then we live that out with a special calling, both Jew and Gentile together to be the calling of God's people. And because of that, therefore, because of all these truths, therefore, we make some, some statements about your future. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, since you're all sinners, you have no hope, you're lost, you're done, you're toast, you've broken your own commands and God's commands, you've broken your own conscience, you have no hope, but God has bound all men over to disobedience that he might have mercy on us all. And what happened? Um, in view of this kind of mercy from God, you would offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true spiritual and your holy kind of worship. Now, a lot of you think worship is singing songs. It's not. That's a part of it. Some of you think worship is, I don't know, coming to service and going through some ritual. It's not. Your very daily lives are to be worshiped to God. That is your true, your proper, your holy, your fulfilling worship to God. The way you live every day, every minute of every day. This is your act of worship. And then he says, do not conform. Everybody say the word conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Come on, everybody say it with me. Transformed. So you're not, you're not to conform, you're to what? Yeah, transformer. I became a, all right, sorry. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind. If you're going to live a life of worship, you cannot be conformed to the pattern of the world. You have to be transformed by renewing your mind to think like God thinks. Then, then, the then is there on purpose. Then you, any, anybody ever say this? Anybody ever say, I just want to know what God's will is. I'd like to know what God's will. God, would you show me your will? Anybody ever say anything like that? This is how you find God's will. You live a life of worship where you do not be conformed to the thinking and the patterns of this world, but you're transformed to be and to think and to pursue what God wants. Then you will be able to approve what is his good. Now listen, God's will isn't just good. It's good, pleasing, and perfect. God's will is so good, he doesn't use one adjective to describe it, but three. Come on, God's will is good for your life. It is perfect for your life. It is the best and pleasing thing for your wife, for your wife and your life. <laughs> yeah. But the, the point is this, is that a lot of us are trying to figure out what we want rather than what God wants. So we're thinking about our world through the conformity to the way of thinking of this world. And we're trying to pursue happiness. Do you know what happiness is? Happiness is the excitement that something may go good. Think about what makes you, anybody ever open Christmas gifts? And after you open them and you've opened them and you got all the gifts, you're sitting there going, yeah, but this wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. But you were excited for a month because the anticipation is where most of us find our happiness in the anticipation of something awesome, not in the fulfillment and the walking of it out because walking it out takes discipline because then you got to read the instructions and figure out how to make this thing work, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So God's will for your life is that you would live in the good, the pleasing, the perfect, the awesome, the things that fulfill you. And what we want to do is we want to throw those away for a moment of pleasure, looking forward to some excitement or titillation that will make us happy. And then once you have it, you're disgusted by it. Oh, I'm just talking today. Come on. All right, Jesus, I pray you'd help us, help us to hear, help me to speak what you have to say in such a way we could hear it. And I ask God that you would speak not only to our minds, but also to our spirits and our hearts. And I pray that your word would come forth strong and powerful in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I had this dog. Uh, me, and my, me and my brother, we got a dog. He was uh, five years older than me. We go to get a dog. Mom and dad finally say we can have one. And we go and we find this little uh, half black lab, half cocker spaniel, I think they said. I don't know what he was. He might have been mo mostly black lab, but there was some cocker spaniel in him because he was curly haired. And anyway, we go and there's this runt. He's a little runt and he doesn't stop. He's just running around. He's the one on ADHD. He's following everybody around. He's doing everything. The others are all laying there and this one's ADHD. And me and my brother, both with ADHD, look down at the dog, run around and say, that's ours. So this dog was like us. I mean, he had ADHD, we had it. So we're going, yeah, this dog's perfect for us. So we take him home. Now he wasn't an indoor dog. We didn't put him in a house, thank God, because dogs have hair on their bodies, their whole bodies, because they belong outside. And, and so we kept him outside. 
and he was an outside dog and we fed him and played with him and all this kind of stuff and we taught him tricks and how to sit and that kind of stuff well then one day we take him to the water we were at a pond and I put, reach down I pick up a rock to skip a rock and I skip the rock across the water and the dog goes boom I never been taught just goes in straight after this this skipping stone across the water he saw it and he went after it and he's out there swimming around never been taught swim none of that stuff he's out swimming 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 and finally my brother says if we don't throw a stick he's gonna stay out there forever so he threw a stick he got the stick grabbed it came and brought it to us laid it down at our feet we picked it up and threw it in again we never taught the dog to do it the dog did instinctively just go pick up sticks and bring them back and anytime we threw some in the water whatever it was the dog would swim out get it and bring it back that's how Smartest dog I ever saw in my life. Amazing, amazing. So anyway, we're down one day and we're at the Arkansas River and it had rained a lot and the Arkansas River had a flood. Here you go, I'll take it up here, please. Thank you, thank you. All right, so the Arkansas River had a flood and we were at a levee. Do you guys know what rivers really look like? We live up by the lake, but rivers are cool. The Arkansas River at that point was a quarter mile wide at least it was, uh, and, and the water was flowing. It was above uh, flood stage. It was up to the top of the levees. There are these levees. They're like that far out of the water, you know, eight, 10 feet out of the water. And these levees would stick out. Well, the water was at the top of the levees and the water was just where it would go past a levee, which is rocks sticking out. We were this side and the water's coming this way. And where it went around, there were these whirlpools because it was just, the water was rushing. It was at flood stage. And my brother being the, the, wonderful loving person that he was reached down grabbed the stick and threw it in the water rocky not thinking twice because rocky was a dog that he was made for that runs jumps off the edge of the levee into that swirling water and chases that stick and he comes out about 100 and 150 yards down the the way because that's how fast the water was and he brought the stick back to us laid it at our feet and we stood there and threw it in and finally dad said you better stop it or you're going to kill that dog because that dog would go in the water and swim because he was made to do it what you and I would be fearful of and everybody else would be afraid of, he just instinctively did it and it wasn't a risk to him because he was made for it. Are, are y'all getting me here? What did God make you to do? What did God make you to do? And I'm not, I'm not encouraging <laughs> some of this stuff. I'm just telling you a story. It's what happened. And the real question Paul is answering in this section of Romans is, what were you made to live to do? If God has created you to be somebody and to have a good and a pleasing, perfect will for your life that actually fulfills your dreams, your vision, your purposes. If he's made you for that, well then how do you live that kind of life? Therefore, therefore, because of the theology we've already heard that we recognize we're sinners who fallen short of God, that we have a flesh that we wanna pursue and we need to change intentionally to prefer the spirit of God, rather our flesh, and we need to intentionally make decisions to live in God's will. Because of that, therefore, we can enter into this relationship with God and ourselves where we can have a life that we're happy about. Because God showed us mercy and, and helped all of our past sins, brokenness, and mistakes. It said, remember last week, it, he has bound us all over to disobedience that he may have mercy on us all. God wants to have mercy. What is mercy? Anybody ever go to a girl's, like a 10-year-old girl's softball game? Come on. 
I had, I, one of my daughters decided she wanted to play softball. That underhand fast pitch softball, you know? Anybody ever been to one of those games where they either roll the ball to the plate or throw it over the backstop? There is no middle ground. Well, maybe you hit somebody if you can get the ball to them. And, and you know, they would do this, and then it, the, the defense was so bad, if a girl actually did put a bat on the ball, it was a home run no matter what, because they would just throw the ball around chasing her around the bases and drop it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been to any of these games other than me? Paint drying is more enjoyable watching it than watching one of those games. It was horrible. And w well, one day we played, I mean, these were girls that didn't know how to play and when we'd go to practice, they'd be like, oh, my parents are just making me be here. You know, that kind of attitude. So one day we played a game with a bunch of girls that actually wanted to play and had practiced and actually knew something. 25 to nothing at the end of the first or second, uh, second inning. 25 to nothing. Do you, know, do you know what that means? That means they mercy ruled us the first inning, the second inning, and then we had to leave. That's what mercy is. Mercy is you don't deserve to keep playing with us anymore. We're going to give you an out. And you know what God did? God bound all of us over to the fact we're 25 to zero and it's still the first inning. And he said, I'll give you a way out through my son, Jesus. Come on, that's mercy. And God has provided a way for us. So now we understand that God's made us for something. He's given us mercy to get us out of our old garbage and to get us into his life. And he says this. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What does conform mean? Well, this world has a way of viewing life, has a way of telling you what to think about you, what to think about how you're supposed to believe and act and behave and what your sexuality is supposed to look like and what your morals are supposed to be like. And they take you and they say to you, we have a purpose and a thought for what your life should look like. And they say, conform to our image. You will love it. Conform to our image. We're going to take you and mold you and you conform. And therefore, we're all fine, perfect hearts. And that's what our world says to you is you got to think and feel and act and love like we say. The only problem is, is that we're missing all the rest of you. God made you to be more than just a cut out image that thinks like everybody else. God made you to be a whole person, not a carbon copy of everybody else. Somebody say amen here. Y'all know what I'm talking about. God made you for a life and you're being fit into a conformed to an image. And Jesus says, do not conform to the pattern they tell you you got to be because I could make something really cool out of this. You know, I can make like a little man out of it if I wanted to. And you could look different. You might not look so good when I make the man, you know, but there you go. Hey, Ghostbusters. I don't care. What if God wants to make something out of you that's different, that's unique, that's perfectly designed by him, but yet you're saying, I got to think like the world? Because, come on, nowhere in anybody's sane brain. Anyway, I'm not going there. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to tell you, a lot of you were being sold a lie by the world and they're telling you stuff that there ain't no way in your sanity you're going to say, I think it's a great idea to cut off my genitalia to become something that I'm not. By the way, if you've got a Y chromosome, 
Isn't it a Y chromosome or is it an X? It's an X. It's a Y. If you've got a Y chromosome, you're a guy. Sorry. I don't care what you say. I, that, I got that from the World Health Organization. I didn't, and they were trying to convince me that it wasn't the truth. But they had to admit it. But our world tells you, oh, you get to choose just as long as you look and act and think like us. God did not make you to be conformed to the image of this world. He made you to be transformed. Do you know why? God wants to take that nasty, ugly you, and he wants to make some out of it. Come on, anybody ever been in junior high? My greatest love are for middle schoolers. I still love middle schoolers probably more than any other human beings on the earth. Do you know why I love middle schoolers the most? Why I think they're the coolest? Because you're just flat-out ugly. Come on. Hey, no, no, no. Listen, listen, guys, listen. There isn't a single person that ever feels cool in middle school. And if you do feel cool in middle school, you're the one that peaked at age 13. And when you're 40, you're going to be sitting in an alcoholic corner somewhere going, I don't understand why my life stinks because I had my greatest days when I was 12. If your greatest days are when you're 12, you peaked way too early. Listen, do you know what you are? You're something God is making. Those 12-year-olds are something God is making into something awesome, and we need to let them develop as God made them rather than trying to conform them to the world's image of them. And some of you, you're, you, you may be 45, but you're still 12 because you never actually decided to let God take you to the next level. Because God wants to transform you. He wants, remember, God chose you. He chose you. He chose you. He gave you mercy. He gave you love. And he said, I want you to develop into what I made you to be, my good, pleasing, perfect will. And you're saying, oh, but it doesn't feel good. Yes, because all maturity hurts. Come on, when I was 18... I, all right, let's be honest. I live a really good life right now. I love my wife. I think my wife loves me. I hope so. 32 years. In about a week, 32 years. I like her more now than I did then. I love her a whole lot more now than I did then. I didn't know what love was when I got married. All right? We like each other. You know that is possible to stay married a long time and like each other more as you go along, right? Am I correct? Right? And she's not saying that because I'm preaching. She tells, tells me she likes me. <laughs> By the way, I got three kids. I like them. I think they like me. I think most of the time. You know, I, I, uh, I have my bills paid. Not in debt, right? What an amazing thought. Uh, you know, most of the people I work with, I hang out with, I think they like me. I know I like them. I wake up in the morning. I don't dread going to work. I don't mind hanging out with the people that I hang out with. I, I don't dread paying the bills because I got the money to pay the bills. I don't dread all of these things anymore. Do you know why I don't dread it? Because when I was 18 years old, I made some decisions to pursue God's will when I was like 17, 18 years old. And those decisions are paying dividends when I'm 50 plus. Do you know what, what our world says, though? Our world says delay growing up and pursue your pleasure. And when you do that, you don't make the hard decisions. So you, you don't actually get to live the life God made for you until you actually turn around and say, I will stop doing it your, my way and I will do it your way. That's called being conformed. And being conformed hurts. Because then you got to sometimes go to the grocery store and put groceries back because you can't afford them and you're not going to go into debt. 
And your wife comes home from the grocery store crying because we can't afford to buy what we wanted to buy, but we're not going to go in debt to buy it. So you make a decision then that blesses you later, or you can make a decision now that hurts you later. And what God's good and pleasing and perfect will is, is, hey, guess what? Don't go get a credit card and blow it so you can be conformed like everybody else and be in debt and not be able to eat and not be able to retire. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convey something. That the growth process hurts, but it's worth it because you make the right decisions. I got a little video to show you what it looks like. And my favorite part of the video right here. So larvae, which is nasty, turns into a butterfly, which you all think is beautiful. My favorite part of that video is where he's like struggling in this cocoon. I feel that way about half my life. I'm just fighting in my cocoon to get moving so I can get out of here. So I can step into God's blessing. Anyway, maybe you don't like that, but come on. Anybody ever feel like you're in a cocoon and the, you're just like being squeezed on all corners and you can't get out? And you say, God, what's going on? And God's saying, oh, you're building some muscle. So when you get out of here, you can fly. You know what God wants to do? He wants to transform you from an ugly bug to a living, breathing, beautiful example of God's mercy and love. God wants to transform you. So how do we, what, what do we do? How do we walk in this? There are four things Paul says we need to do to walk in it. All right, we're going fast. Are y'all ready? Four points in my sermon, I got 10 minutes. That means you need to listen fast. Number one, use your gifts. The first area of transformation is God has given you gifts and you need to use them. Romans 12, three, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, how many? Everyone, everyone listening to me, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I once thought I was great at basketball. I did. I thought I was pretty good. I thought I was good. I could make three-pointers. I could dribble. I could shoot. I could play defense. And then one day I played a D1 starter. Guy that was on full ride scholarship with freshman year, D1 starter. He came down the lane. He did a two-hand slam dunk behind his head. And I watched his butt cheek pass right in front of my face. And I took my shoes off and I said, I'm done. You, we need to realize that we might have gifts, but those gifts may not meant to be used at the level. We're not Michael Jordan. Even Michael Jordan isn't Michael Jordan at baseball. Are y'all paying attention here? God's given you gifts. Use your gifts, but don't think you're something you're not. Stay humble with it. Second of all, just as each of you has been uh, one body with many members, do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Your gift, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. Come on, we need some teachers for life groups. 
You know what you need to do for life groups to be a teacher in life group? Let me tell you what you need to do in life group. You ready? You need to open up your home and you need to be willing to talk about the Bible. Do you know how we disciple people here? We don't disciple people with some super great teacher teaching everybody everything. We disciple people when one person who wants to know Jesus enters into a relationship with another person who wants to know Jesus. There's some of you, you could be life group leaders. You have a living room that you could meet in, and you just need to talk to Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike, stand up and wave at everybody. You need to talk to Pastor Mike about... We invited some people to be in life groups last week, and a couple of them took us up on it, and we're like, oh, crud, we're almost full in all of our life groups. Life group leader, talk to him if you're interested. If it's teaching and teach, this is my favorite. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. Did you know that's a spiritual gift? Encouragement is a spiritual gift. And if it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. There are four guides to using your gifts. Number one, be humble. Don't think you're Michael ja uh, Jordan or Michael Jackson. You know, you may just sing all right. You may, you may dance average. You may play basketball average, but use your gifts. Second of all, you have unique gifts. You have unique gifts. Each gift is God's graced you in a, in a way that is unique. Third, God's gift are a grace. That means you didn't earn them. He gave them to you, so it's your responsibility to use them right. And then last of all, use your gifts with a good attitude. I use Marge Pope as an example. Marge Pope, when we started over in, uh, in the school, uh, we were, she started teaching like two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and she didn't know what to do, but she just knew she wanted to serve God. So she started serving. There were only a couple of kids in there, and she would serve. And as she was teaching these kids, she realized she learned to teach them how to pray. She loved to teach kids how to pray. So for years and years, she taught kids how to pray around here, and then she got too old. Her back started hurting too much to hang out with the kids, and she said, what am I going to do? And then she realized she had developed a gift of teaching people how to pray. So she opens a Wednesday morning study every Wednesday morning they meet these ladies meet and they pray and they intercede for our church and she's one of those people praying for you on a regular basis and those she's working with because she used her gifts little to begin with and they developed into butterfly gifts as you go along and that's how you do it start use your gifts start second of all show others love I won't talk long about this pastor Mike did a great job but I want to read it for you ready Romans chapter 12 verse 9 love must be sincere no fake in here. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. And I love this one. You should underline it in your Bible. Honor one another above yourselves. That's going to come into play next week a lot. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Life group leaders, there you go again. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. <laughs> do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, like me. Lowest of the crowd here, so please be my friend, somebody. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, and I love this, if it is possible, live at peace, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know you can't live at peace with everyone, but as far as it is possible, do your best. And then he says this, um, 
Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, at his mind to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is a great line. Overcome evil with good. And I'm going to go ahead and reiterate uh, Romans 13, 8 says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And all the other commands are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. Just a simple illustration. Joe lives down the street from me. Joe loves everybody, treats them right. He shows mercy to people who don't deserve it. He gives to people that don't deserve it. He, he actually, if you treat him nasty, he'll treat you kind. Joe goes out of his way to make sure that everybody is treated fairly. And Joe pays his bills on time. Joe loves people. Joe serves people. I hate Joe. Joe should go to jail. Let's send him to jail. What? Joe shouldn't go to jail. Why shouldn't Joe go to jail? Because Joe who lives like that's the kind of person you want as your neighbor, right? Am I correct? All right, then be that kind of person. That's how you honor God. Third, show respect to authority. He's going to go there. We live in a culture right now, this is a real problem. Big, big, big problem. So I'm just going to read it, okay? By the way, my response when I read this is I have problems with speeds, traps, and turn signals. Speed traps, come on, anybody ever driven down the road and they have a speed trap set up where it goes from 45 to 35 to 25, just like that, yeah? And they do it like to get you, and then they'll sit right at the 25, and they'll, yeah, yeah, I got a spot in Ohio right down the road here. They did that to me one night, yeah? Goes 55 from 35, I sped up to get to the, yeah, you were doing that before you got to the sign. You were doing 41, we're giving you a ticket. Don't you hate things like that? Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It makes you mad, right? Or, or how about this? We were, we were in a certain city, <clears throat> New York. But anyway, and as we were there, we were, we were driving back from a show. It was like 2 a.m. We'd gotten off the ferry, and we were driving back, and we came to this, this intersection. And uh, it, nobody on the road. No, it was, it was bad. It was bad. Nobody on the road. Nobody. No right turn. So I pulled up. I stopped. And then I pull around the corner when the light turns green and I get a ticket because they said, even though I had it on, they said a failure to use a turn signal at two o'clock in the morning. I got an $80 ticket. And then when I go in to ask about it the next morning, the police officer, the sergeant says, if you say another word to me, I'm going to throw you in cuffs and throw you in jail. Come on. Yeah. So when I think of respect to authority and come on, by the way, if you get pulled over by a cop, keep your hands in plain view. I don't care whether you're white, yellow, green, pink or purple. Keep your hands in plain view and speak nice because I wouldn't want to come up to a car not knowing what was in the car. Would you? My time is going, so I'll read it. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities. I don't like that. For there is no authority except that which God has established, even DeWine. The authorities that exist have been established by God, even Trump. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority, even Pelosi, 
Did I say all that? Is rebelling against what God has instituted. By the way, does your speech at home make your, parent, your kids want to talk nicely about your authority? Just saying. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. For those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But we don't like it because they make us do things we don't like to do. But if you do wrong, be afraid. By the way, those of you who complain about your taxes, I've got a couple of third world countries I'd like to take you to. Uh, oh my goodness, I gotta go on. So uh, they are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay taxes for the authorities or God's servants to give you their full time to governing, give to everyone you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, revenue. If respect, then respect. Honor, then honor. I will say that God does have a caveat in all of this. And that caveat is if they're telling you to do something against God, you don't do it. All right. Daniel 3:18. your majesty, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image of gold you have set up. We still need a Daniel generation that says, I will not bow to dishonor my God, but I will respect the authority that asked me to do things I don't even like. There's a balance here, and we in Christian circles right now, especially those of us, we're not acting the best. All right. And... John Mellencamp, 80s rock, I fight authority. Come on, what is it? Authority always wins. Trust me on that one, it's true. Last of all, we need to live ready. We need to live ready. We need to respect authority, we then need to live ready. Wednesday nights in September, we're gonna talk about revelation because people are all concerned about whether or not this is the end of the world and the mark of the beast is gonna be in whatever chip for whatever vaccine. We're gonna talk about living ready. Um, Wednesday's in September. All right, so Romans chapter 13. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. What, pray tell, would cause an alarm to go off when I was talking about living ready? Well, I tell you what would happen. What if that was the return of Jesus? What if the alarm went off? I, I don't know how he's going to come back. And, you know, everybody's concerned about a seven-year tribulation and pre-trib, post-trib. I'm a pan-trib. It'll all pan out in the end. But let me tell you what I do know. I know this from Scripture very clear. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, it's not going to be, oh, I'm going to come back, and it's all going to be rose petals and rainbows. You know what it's going to be? He's going to be wearing a robe that's dipped in the blood of those who have opposed him. He's going to be carrying a sword, and out of his mouth will come, in case you missed it, you didn't take me seriously, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he won't 
be playing games. He's going to make this world bow before him. As he prophesied, it will happen. And I don't know whether this pandemic is the signs of the end of the age or it's one more birth pain. But I know this, Jesus is coming back and you better get ready. The night, verse 12, is nearly over. The day is almost here. So put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. Once again, how are we to live? Decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing or drunkenness or sexual immorality or debauchery or in dissension or jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't even give a thought about how you can satisfy your flesh. How do you live? Submit to God's authority. Confess your sins. Choose to follow the way of the Spirit and act in love towards others. I'm going to say that again. The four ways you live. Listen, submit to God's authority. Confess your sins. You have broken his authority. Choose to follow the way of the Spirit by the way you think, by the way you act and the decisions you make, and then act in love towards others. And some of you, when those alarms went off, there was a little bit of panic, and I wanted to back off, and then I'm going to come back to it. If you're like, if Jesus came back now, I'm not ready. I'm not trying to emotionally manipulate you. That's the reason I went away from it and I came back to it. Here's what I am trying to do, though. If you're not ready and your heart skipped a beat, that's because you're not ready and you're not ready to meet Jesus, you're dumb. Okay? Not emotional. Brains. It's your day to get ready to meet Jesus. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads with me, if you would. If you're in this room and you say, I'm not ready to meet Jesus. I would like to get saved. I would like to get ready today. Today is my day to get ready. If that's you, you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ today so that you can be prepared to meet him. If that's you, lift your hand. I want to pray with you. In this room right now, lift your hand. Go ahead. Yes. There are others. Oh, if you're online, type believe, send believe to that number on the screen. Can we pray together? Nobody prays alone at Harvest Ridge. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Thanks for forgiving me. I receive your salvation. I confess I am a sinner. I trust you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, we believe that Jesus has given you a new life. And there are some of us now, the rest of us, I, I, I just want to be very, very clear. I was up this morning before sunshine praying for you. Now, God doesn't wake me up before sunshine to pray for a service unless unless you need some help. Doesn't happen every week. It happened, it's happened actually quite a bit recently. 
I've been talking to people and there's some people in this room and there's some people I've been talking to. You're like at the end, wigged out. <laughs> Come on, anybody else like me, you're saying this is some of the most difficult year I have ever lived in in my life. Yeah, yeah. I believe that God wants to give you victory. And I also believe there's a spiritual attack going on. Can I, I'm gonna do this now, okay? I was gonna do it later, I'm gonna do it now. The Bible says that faith, hope, and love remain. What remain? Faith, hope, and love. And there, there are some of us that we're in a position right now that our faith in God is struggling, that our hope that things are gonna get better is, is waning, and our love for other people has gone away because we're mad at them all the time. And if your faith, hope, and love are waning, I want you to know that is not from God. That is an attack of the enemy. This is a spiritual attack. And the weapons, I'm gonna quote some scripture at you. If you recognize you're under a spiritual attack, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God through the destruction of these strongholds. And what are the weapons of our warfare? We cling to God's word, we worship in truth, and we submit to his lordship. So you know what I'm gonna call us to do now for a couple of minutes? We're gonna worship in truth. We're going to submit to his lordship and we're going to apply the word he has given us. And the word is that we're to live ready and we're to live with love and we're to live conformed, not to this world, but transformed by the power of God. And I would like everybody to stand if you would right now. Uh, maybe you need to come to this altar. You need to kneel down. Maybe you need to sit back down to your seat. I don't care what you do, but for the next couple of moments while we sing this song, I want you to commit. Don't go running away. I want you to stay here and commit for a couple of moments. I want to pray with you in a moment.